Hello and welcome to our Women on a Mission podcast, the online destination for women and men who want to create a life that they truly love, one without limits, one with more balance, more self-belief and endless possibilities for the future. I'm your host, Deborah Craig. I'm an intuitive life mentor and hypnotherapist. And every week I'll bring you guest experts, individuals with lived experience, and of course, I'll share client case studies so that you can experience some of the best ideas and solutions to help you solve real life problems so that you can live a happy and healthy life and of course become the best version of yourself every single day. You see, I've found that to reach our full potential in our careers, relationships, our health goals and in life, we must take a look at what's going on on the inside of ourselves as this is where the change really starts. I hope you enjoy the podcast and remember, leave feedback and comments so that I can continue to bring you content and guests that truly help you become the best version of yourself so that you can live a life that you love. Enjoy the show. Hi and welcome everyone, all listeners out there. Good afternoon, good evening. Uh, good morning, wherever you are tuning in to listen to this week's episode of the podcast. So I'm actually really excited to bring this episode to you because I work personally with a lot of clients that suffer from anxiety. And I know, especially in the last few years, it has been such a common topic. It's been discussed a lot. And I know a lot of people that even who perhaps didn't have uh, anxiety Certainly the stressors of the last few years have driven that uh, uh, towards them and more and more people have been experiencing high levels of anxiety for a, a, a variety of different reasons. So I thought it was pertinent that we get an expert in the field to have a good talk with myself um, and we discuss our client experiences or personal experiences, whatever uh, comes up. And most importantly, I think it's uh, good that we share other experiences with you so that you can actually, when you listen in, maybe you can recognize, well, this sounds like me, and there might be some helpful tips, some strategies, and um, things that you can actually take away and hopefully improve your own life experiences. So it's such a joy for me to uh, have this amazing guy on tonight. So this uh, I'll be bringing on shortly, Paul Mori. He is a senior CBT therapist in the occupational health field who is highly experienced in the area of anxiety. So Paul, please welcome, come and join us. Hi, JB. Hi, Thanks Paul. for having me on. My absolute pleasure. pleasure. Absolute pleasure. pleasure. For me. Yep. Um, and I know it's something that we talk about regularly, both in the therapeutic field. Um, we both work with a lot of clients and we know yep. people on a personal level that have been um, unfortunate enough to be exposed or experience um, anxiety. And I guess what I wanted to do was really for us to explore that in a bit more detail so that if there's anyone listening tonight or morning, whenever you're listening, um, you can actually resonate perhaps with some of the things we're talking about and maybe find ways that you can actually either find the help that you need or um, find some strategies here with us this evening. So I gave you a short intro 
I would love mm -hmm. to put it over to you to give us a little bit of background. How did you get into CBT? What was your background before? And yeah, just a little bit more about what was your driver towards getting into the therapeutic world? So I, I currently work for um, an occupational health company and I manage a team of clinicians. Um, about 15 of them have got in my team. Um, so I'm a CBT therapist to trade. Um, and it's a part of the company that, I suppose it's an employee assistance, but it's, it's management referrals that I deal with. So the, um, our customer, who's the employer, um, their manager is referring their employee for um, therapy. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of, I think, like a lot of us, we, we sort of career change, mm -hmm. um, changing our career. And, you know, it just sort of fell into sort of mental health um, and fell into CBT as well. It all happened really quite, quite quickly for me. Um, and I just love what I do and I'm passionate about helping people. And um, I suppose it's teaching them tools and techniques um, to help them manage whatever's going life, on for them. And we're talking about happen. life happens for all of us. Exactly, it? it really does. And you, you touched on something there that I think would be a good um, a topic for us to just start off with. Because you work in occupation in an organisation, occupational health, so employee assistance, you were talking about there how um, the employees are then referred on to yourselves, your organisation, and mm. prior to you being in management, you directly. Um, would you say um, there's been a change in what you're experiencing firsthand on the sort of frontline supporting people, particularly yeah. after what's happened the last few years? Absolutely, yeah. So we've seen a, about a 15 to 20% increase in risk. So that could be, you know, suicide, self-harm, um, just since the pandemic hit. So in the past two and a half years. Yeah, so there's never been more of a greater need for mental health services than now. And sometimes, you know, people can't get access to the NHS, you know, or if they can, it's a long waiting list. So if they've got um, counselling that's available through their employer, then it means they can get seen a lot quicker. I love, I love that you've actually shared that because being a corporate gal once in my life um, and my past, um, it, it was, I was aware of having employee assistance. Um, but it was never something for whatever reason I really ever thought about using. Mm. And I've spoken to other people in the past, other managers in corporate, and whilst it's very much promoted and out there, they don't always get a lot, of, you know, the big uptake on it. And I, and I always wondered why people would fear maybe going for support, and yet it's there to help them in any area of life. It's not always about you know, specifically about work. It could be personal things that are having an impact on their work. What kind of things do people come to you, would you say? What kind of themes are you kind of dealing with? Well, I, you know, I would reassure anyone it's a sign of strength to recognise you need help and then to go and seek that help. So if, if you are struggling and you're aware that your employer does have a, a, an EAP service, then speak to your line manager. Um, and ask them to make a referral um, into the, the occupational health side. 
some employers have a, um, a phone line which is completely confidential so they can they can phone up the, the EAP line and their manager doesn't even need to know that they're accessing that so certainly I would you know reassure people that it is, is very common for people in a workplace to be seeking help um, and to receive counselling or CBT or we also do EMDR as well but yeah you hit the nail on the head it could be personal issues that are impacting on work um, or it could be that their work is impacting on them personally as well. Um, you said something there that I thought was really uh, pertinent as well is just to pick up on that confidentiality because I think there's a bit of fear that people don't always want to reach out for help, particularly in a work environment, mm. in case, you know, maybe there's that fear of what if this gets back to my employer? Is this mm. going to be something that I can't then be truly honest about how I feel and what's really going on? But you just yeah. touched on that there, the, the complete confidentiality. They're there to support the individual. It's not about just about the organization yeah so so we we uh, prepare um, reports for for the the line manager as well and you know that that you can say to the counselor you would rather that you know certain information isn't disclosed but more often than not the the, the individual wants their employer to know what's going on and for that to happen by way of a report, um, either following the assessment or maybe the discharge report, um, it can be a way that, you know, perhaps they can't articulate it with their line manager. So if they can tell their counsellor about it, counsellor can get it in the report. And that's another way for the manager to know what's going on for them and what they can do to help, you know, what recommendations, you know, we can suggest that they might put in place in the workplace to help them. I think that's really, really good information because you're right, sometimes when your direct line manager, sometimes can be difficult to express how you're really feeling, especially if it's something personal. But when you have a third party that's not connected with you know, the, the day-to-day -day work, then you get that opportunity to be vulnerable and actually ex explore a bit more about how you're feeling. Counselor being a professional in that environment to help um, you create that self-awareness and really understand, right, well, what is getting in my way here? And then you're right in the workplace, them being able to decide, well, perhaps we need to put in extra supports here. Is it, you know, different shift patterns? If you're a shift worker, is it uh, more time? Is it different times? Is it extra uh, support where you've not learned the job maybe the, to the capacity you wanted and you just need a little bit of extra help lots of things that they can do and to probably sit and I think this is really leads into some of the core of anxiety you know whether you agree or not here but I think anxiety when I work with clients is it's a because of the fear we have this imagination that something is so much bigger than it really is. And what it does is it actually freezes us to the spot. And we assume we create stories in our head. Oh, I can't tell my manager because I'll get the sack. Or I couldn't say to my manager because, you know, they'll put me into another team. So what we do is out of sheer fear, which is anxiety, we do nothing. And then what happens is it becomes internal mm. and then it 
comes out and is in the physical symptoms, which we'll get into in a second. What do you what do you sort of think on yeah, that yourself? Yeah, when you were mentioning about um, you know the recommendations like changing your shift patterns, or um, you know sometimes it could be a phased return. We we sometimes recommend like a stress risk assessment because anxiety anxiety to keep it simple is worry. You mentioned there that you know the individuals worried about saying to their manager, they're worried about how they'll be perceived, if they're going to be judged, the implications of that. So anxiety is worry, and it will bring the stress response in our body. Now, if that's not attended to, then it's just going to build up. It's going to lead to chronic worrying and impact of stress. 80% of illness in our body is caused by stress. So if we can get a grip on anxiety, a grip on worry, then it's going to have a knock-on effect of um, helping us with our physical health as well. Because as that, we know, the, the body keeps the score. Somebody absolutely. wrote a book. Exactly. We don't have to have read that book to know what that's about. But the mind and the body are connected. They're completely as one. And that that's something that I think I I, I talked about that in another podcast actually with a dietitian. (laughs) And it was in relation to um uh, the gut health, because Mm. again, clients going to her thinking that it was gut problems. In actual fact, it was manifested through long-term anxiety that's been unmanaged. So often when you start working with a client and they start to peel back the layers and understand right, what's causing this, where are the thoughts coming from, how to process them, as soon as they start to come down off that high level of anxiety, the other issues start to ease off as well, like yeah. the physical symptoms. So I thought it might be worthwhile yeah. for us to so I maybe take a moment to just talk about what what anxiety looks and feels like so sometimes we hear a lot of technical terms mm. you know like we talk in therapy talk or it's on you know written you know books or whatever and it just doesn't feel like real life but you talked about it there and you said well it's like it's just worrying so what how else could we kind of explain like, what are other symptoms of anxiety what are the types of things that they mm either have thoughts about or physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. So when you mentioned about um, that, you know, a person having fear, you, you said there that anxiety is fear and, and we're hardwired to be, um, to keep ourselves safe from fear. We wouldn't have survived as a species if our brains weren't hardwired to be attracted to danger and threat. That's what's kept us safe. That's what's kept us um still alive after you know tens of thousands of years so it all comes back to that basic fight or flight or freeze response so when we think about the the fight or flight response or the stress response what what is happening there what happened to cavemen and cavewomen 70,000 years ago when they saw a lion or they saw some other predator the brain would gear the body up for action so the, the we've either got to fight the lion or we've got to run away from it. So the blood then rushes to our hands to fight it or to our feet to run away from it. So our body's then having to process all that blood, how the heart processes the blood. So the heart's going to start beating faster because it's got all this blood 
that's circulating through our body, it needs processed. So somebody experiencing anxiety, palpitations, um, their skin might become flushed, because again, all the blood is rushing about everywhere. Um, I always say to my clients, would these cavemen and cavewomen have needed a sandwich in, in that moment? And that usually raises a laugh because no, they need to be moving it, don't they? Um, they need to be either fighting it or moving it. They don't need to be eating anything in that moment. So the brain shuts down the digestive system. Yep. Don't need to be eating, we need to be getting on with it. So that's why our throat can feel as if it's closing over because the brain is making sure we're not going to be eating anything. Nothing's passing by our throat. Our mouth can become dry. We don't need saliva to um, masticate the food. There's a word for you. Mm -hmm. um, don't need any saliva in our mouth to digest the food. And also, you know, when, if ever you've, um, I, I mean, I know for, for me, whenever I feel anxious or possibly nervous, I need to go to the toilet. Maybe that's an age thing mm -hmm. as we get older, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> so that the, the, the brain is wanting to make the body nimble and, and, and I suppose quick, and it wants to get rid of anything that's going to weigh it down. So that's why we want to expel mm -hmm. urine or sometimes as well, we can feel nausea because we're getting rid of anything that's in the stomach that could weigh us yeah. down. So we feel nauseous. And some people say, you know, they, they, they want to be sick or they are actually yeah. sick. You know, they've got that retching and maybe nothing much comes up, but it's certainly that, mm -hmm. that impulse that's going on. So a hell of a lot of things going on when, when we're stressed. And we can bring that on sitting in our living rooms being in our bedrooms, being in our own homes, there's no lying. I was just thinking that. The there's house. nothing here that's given me any reason to be like that, but let's say I hadn't done lots of podcasting. Mm. I might have had some of those symptoms before I was taking, doing my first podcast or something like that, or my first client when I went into business, because the same physical symptoms are coming over my body getting the sweats on and sweating palms and mm -hmm. you know squeezing my hands together and thinking oh what what is what's in store for me here but the key thing is I think as well is my, my imagination about what the outcome could be was really what it was about mm -hmm. my fear about what might happen and the reality is none of that usually happens very rarely does the worst possible thing in your imagination actually come into fruition so we spend a lot of time worrying about things that don't even happen and then going through all these experiences of the physical symptoms but the thing is lots of periods of time feeling on that high alert hyper vigilant mm -hmm. the cortisol the adrenaline everything all pumping through the body excess of that is actually a negative experience in the body which then as we've talked about can play havoc with the gut can cause other health conditions skin problems Headache. whole host of other things exactly so yeah. you maybe if you're listening right now that some of this might resonate you might think yeah this is me that we're talking about so if that's the case let's have a chat about what are some of the strategies or what are some of the quick sort of tools that mm. we know that the majority of what's happening here is it's a perceived situation it's yeah. a fear it's an imagined thing so how do we get ourselves back into the present mm -hmm. moment start to be practical because one thing that i know to be true 
I've worked with enough anxiety clients to know that sometimes applying logic just doesn't, that the, the anxiety isn't logical. So I know something isn't what I think it's going to be, but yet my brain's still taking me to that place, my imagination. So I guess it's how do we bring ourselves to where we need to be to get clarity rather than trying to practically, logically bring ourselves out of it because it's not always going to work. Yeah, yeah. When you're talking about how do we deal with the, the sort of symptoms in the here and now, but I think a good therapist worth their salt will, will go back, you know, when did they first experience anxiety? Because, I mean, I think for, for the small minority, possibly something's happened and, it, and it's making them stressed out or anxious, but really it comes back to childhood and we've either learned that way of being from our primary caregivers, who are usually our parents, um, or we've had an experience in childhood that's made us, that's taught us to worry, that's taught us to be in high alert. You know, if one of our primary caregivers, I don't know, if we're frightened of them, or you know, they've, um, they're a disciplinarian, or they're, they're highly anxious themselves and wrap us up in cotton wool, then we'll develop that way of being from a young age. So they're coming into therapy, they're coming to see me, and they've, they've They've had that um, habit of mind. They've had that way of being for a long time. So I think it's important that, you know, a psychologist came up with this stress, uh, the uh, relaxation response to counter the stress response. So really important to be able to relax. And we can do that very simply by focusing on our breathing because our breathing quickens when we're anxious. Yep. We're having to process all that blood, we're, having, we're dealing with our heart pump and all that blood, our breathing starts to quicken. So if we can slow the breath right down, then the brain will soon catch up. Uh, Paul's not anxious. Paul's in his yeah. living room. He's now going into that relaxation state. Then things will start to calm down. Um, so, that, you know, there, there's breathing exercises, mindfulness exercises yeah. these are all things the body scan the, the three minute breathing space the hourglass meditation all these different things progressive muscle relaxation they're all things that we can you know practice on a daily basis to help us manage the physical symptoms of anxiety but really we want to get down into worry what is worrying us um you talked about you know maybe the the worst case scenario um so i've got i've got a client just now actually who is doing exactly that. They are overthinking everything and they're imagining different scenarios and seeing these different scenarios through to the catastrophe. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting when you ask someone, well, what are the advantages to that? Because, you know, they're in therapy, they want to change things about themselves, mm -hmm. but there must be some advantage to it. Why are they doing that? So we're then uncovering their beliefs about worry. So we've got negative beliefs about worry. Some will say, I'm going to go crazy with all this worrying. And then we have what we call positive beliefs about worry, um, that they need to do it to be prepared. Oh, I need to, I need to imagine all the different scenarios, then I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for it. But whether the positive beliefs about worry or negative beliefs, both of them are maladaptive. Mm -hmm. there, there, there is no benefit to worrying. There are other things that we can do so, you know, doing a worry list, we activate a different part of our brain 
when we write things down, it can lessen the emotional charge rather than everything's just mulling about in our head. Um, and it's really bringing that anxiety response, the stress response on all the time. Put pen to paper, not on the note function on your phone, actually, you know, writing it down. Um, what is it that you're worried about? Um, and then it's, I teach my clients sort of like a five-step tool. So the first step is to get specific with what the worry is. And then the second step, is this a productive worry or an unproductive worry? What do we think the difference is between a productive worry and an unproductive worry? Well, simply a productive worry, we can take action on it. An unproductive worry, we, we, we can't take okay. action. But sometimes a worry, it was common during lockdown, you know, people would come to therapy worried about COVID and, you know, you would say to them, well, you following the government guidelines or you you know taking all necessary precautions they say oh yeah I'm, I'm doing all that I'm doing I'm doing everything that you're supposed to be doing but I'm still worried about it so there it's moved from a productive worry to an unproductive worry yeah. and then we um the next step we want to see who's involved in that worry um so for example if I'm worried about my dad's health um for example then obviously I'm always going to be involved. They're my worries. So I take, I'd be involved in that. Um, my dad would be involved in it. But then, you know, I've got two brothers as well. And, you know, my mum's still here. So mm -hmm. there's four okay. other people that are involved in that worry. What responsibility do they take? So if I, if I was face to face with them, I'd have a pie chart up in the, the, <laughs> the whiteboard, giving different people pieces of the pie. Um, you know, like this, we could do it, um, you know, percentage. And that can be a revelation for, for some people when they look at percentage responsibility, because someone who, not even a chronic worrier, but somebody that's worrying about anything, it's usually because they're giving themselves too much responsibility. responsibility. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And then we want to develop an action plan. What action can we take on this worry? So again, going back to the one about dad's health, you know, it could be going to the GP, could be having a conversation with them, that kind of thing. Um, what's the, um, the worst outcome of the worry? What's the best outcome? And what would be good enough? Now, that might not be that helpful for someone like yourself that maybe imagines different scenarios and sees mm -hmm. it through to the catastrophic event, but it can be helpful to, well, what would be a good enough outcome? I don't have to go to the, to the, the absolute worst case. Yeah. Worst case scenario. I can, you know, Somewhere in myself between. in the middle. I think that's and, the thing. There's a lot of all or nothing thinking, isn't it? It's either got to be all one way or if it's not, it's got to be all the other. And if it's neither of those two, it's not right. There's no shades of grey. It's that it's and that's, that's, black and white. And, and, and that yeah. in itself is so destructive because it's just it's too, so fixed. And I think there's a place for fixed. There's a place for everything. But if predominantly you can only see black and white, mm -hmm. then, you know, life is shades of grey. You know, there's, yeah. it's just so there's the degree of flexibility takes that pressure off you and that constant feeling that it's got to be one single way other than if it's not, then it's wrong. Because um, that actually is like a, it's, it's like a wee self-imposed prison there, you know, that you want to just break out yeah. of. 
because it's keeping you really stuck. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because that's unhelpful thinking styles that you've uncovered there, that black and white thinking, catastrophizing. I, I love what the Americans call it, habits of mind. Just like we can get into habits in our behavior, we can get into habits in our thinking. So we all have our favorites. Absolutely. And actually, I think what we'll do is, I, I don't know if you have one, but I certainly have one. We can both share yeah. them. It doesn't really matter. Um, Several. <laughs> there you go. So um, we can pop up an unhelpful thinking um, sheet, just a PDF that can give people just something to look at. And what I love about it is when I share it with clients, they can really resonate and go, oh, that's me. Yeah. Or, yeah, crystal ball. Yeah, I guess what my partner thinks. And then, or I guess what somebody's thinking about me. And, and half the time I've made it up because it's not even true. So definitely yeah. something for the audience if you're listening then check out the links because we'll put in that for you um and just sorry just to interrupt Debbie uh -huh. just to finish off that so we did worst best and good mm -hmm. enough outcomes but will I be worried about this next year will I be worried about it in five, five years? years yeah will I be worried about it in 10 years that can help us keep things in perspective, perspective. I think that's one of the big ones, isn't it? Perspective, we just sometimes can just blow it right out of proportion. So it's common for someone to say, well, you know, we, I've taken action on it, but I'm still thinking about it. It's still consuming my mind. So that's when we want to use that attentional training, which is really that mindfulness of everyday activity. So whatever we're doing during the day could be making a cup of tea, doing the dishes, getting dressed, having a shower, brushing our teeth. The mind, our brains are so amazing, they can cope with more than one thing at a time. So these things that we do in day in, day out, what they call mundane activities of everyday living, um, our mind can wander to our worries. So becoming more mindful of what we're doing in the present moment. Yep. So I'm now getting a toothbrush. I'm now putting on a toothpaste. What does that feel like in my mouth? What does that taste like? Oh, there's my mind wandered again. Stop. So saying stop to yourself and then have that commentary going in your mind of what you're doing in that present moment, whatever it is. And also setting up a worry time can be really helpful as well. Yeah, you I know, use that but, one with clients. <laughs> yeah, so you've got um, the, you know, between, I don't know, say half past eight and nine o'clock in the morning, that's when I can worry to my heart's content. I'll, I'll sit here and that's when I'm going to do all my worrying, but out with that time, I will postpone it. So again, stop, have the commentary going of what you're doing in that present moment, but also saying to yourself, I don't need to worry about that just now. I can worry about that at my worry time. And with everything, we can't just do it once. <laughs> no, this just has to, to be consistent, repetition. Daily practice. Daily that, practice. that actually leads me on, Paul, because I was doing a podcast. Um, you can check out the episode for this. It was with Kate Thorne. And it was all about um, healthy habits, about um, a morning game changer. And it doesn't really matter about a morning routine. That That's amazing. If you can do that, listening to the episodes, you'll really enjoy it. But it was more to do with um, even clients with anxiety. I very much focus on what their habits are prior to sleep, um, during the night. Um, is their phones? Are they going on? Are they scrolling? Are you opening your eyes in the morning? And the first thing you do is look at your phone and read something. 
kicks off the cortisol again because if it's a text that makes you unhappy or an email or a post on social media you're not even giving yourself a chance to get off the starting line to have a great day so as soon as you're into your day the more mindful you can be the more present and aware definitely helps but my suggestion and my tip for the day is give yourself the best chance to actually have a good day and the best way to do that is start with a really good morning routine. Now, it doesn't have to be something fancy. You can hear more in the podcast if you want to know more. But ultimately, my biggest suggestion, and I use the same tip in that podcast, is please stop taking your phone into your room at night. Get yourself an alarm clock and it will change your life, especially people with anxiety, because the, the, the phone during the night and the phone before bed and then the phone as soon as you open your eyes... There is no space in there to even give yourself a chance to look forward to your day, to look forward to anything when you're just consistently bombarded with messages that set off your worrying, your anxiety, your fears, your stressors, cortisol pumping in your body, you'll probably have insomnia, you know, add it all together, be game changer for you, stop taking your phone into your and I think we I think we use the phone far too much, or it could be a tablet, or it could be the laptop. We use technology far too much to engage in a mindfulness exercise mm-hmm. or to engage in a, a, a relaxation exercise. Let's do it for ourselves. Again, you know, I, I teach my clients the body scan um, or the, the hourglass meditation so that they are then do they can call upon it whenever they need to. It could be, you know sitting waiting in a doctor's surgery on the bus at home we're not dependent on the phone to do it for us to listen to it we want to be doing it ourselves I think an evening routine is another 100%. great idea and and that's when because a lot of people will say that um they can't get to sleep because they're worrying mm-hmm. and and again they'll tell you that positive belief that well, I need to do that to be organised. I need to do, I need to do all my worrying before I go to bed. Otherwise, I wouldn't get anything done the next day. I, I don't I don't believe that. We, we can write it down. Um, That's what I would say. I always call it brain dump. If you've got things in your head yes. before bed, brain dump it out. Get yeah. it out of your head. Get off your phone at least an hour before you go to your bed. Reduce your TV time. Maybe read a book, something inspiring to, to settle down the mind. Um and I think one of the things that people find really challenging is actually being in silence of any kind, because we're so used to like lots of activity, things that take mm-hmm. the brain away. We're, yeah. we're so easily distracted. But the more you can train your brain and you know train your mind to um, be aware of where you are, what you're doing, stay present, and enjoy that moments of silence definitely helps to overcome and actually manage those anxious thoughts when when the mind's just running away with you because the more you can get good at training it to come back to center the easier it will get and you'll be more feel that more sort of stable and 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 balanced on the inside because then you get the chance to have clearer thinking make better decisions better outcomes you're responding instead of reacting so so many things come from that awareness of how you're feeling physically emotionally mentally and then deciding 
what are you going to do to bring more sort of harmony into your yeah. life? We, yeah, we, we, we want, we, we need to be winding the brain down for restful sleep. Um, you know, you, 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 you remember, Debbie, that um, top tip for, for sleep. Like, how do we get a baby to sleep? You know, we dim the lights, we give it a warm bath, a hot milky drink, you know, get it really in the right, mm-hmm. I was going to say frame of mind, but who knows what a baby's frame of mind is. But, you know, Absolutely. getting into that position where it's conducive mm-hmm. to having sleep, not when we're doing everything at a million miles an hour and um, we're being overstimulated. I think that's exactly what I was looking for there. You've just nailed it there with the very phrase. It's that constant stimulation for the brain. There's no opportunity to switch off because we're either thinking about something that's happened all day or last week or last month, Mm -hmm. or we're thinking about what's happening tomorrow and we're stealing the joy out of what's actually happening in front of us or relationships, friendships or families or you know, whatever it is, even just as simple as reading a book or whatever it is you want to do, if if you're not there with it, then you're you're doing yourself a disservice there. So and and, and robbing robbing yourself of your joy. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's again common for clients to say, maybe not at the beginning of therapy, but maybe during it, they'll say that you know I, I just I feel down and I don't understand why I feel down. Now, if I'm a chronic worrier, if I'm worried all the time, what effect is that going to have in my mood? Mm. It's, not, it's not going to make me happy, is it? It's always says buy one, get one free <laughs> with depression and anxiety. So, you know, if we, again, if we can really, you know, use these tools and strategies, really get to grips with it, then it will have a, a knock-on effect in our moods. 100%. Mm. Um, so... Just to wrap up here, because um, we could probably wax lyrical about this topic. And to be fair, I'm probably going to get you back on again at another later point, because I think anxiety is just something that's been here for a long time and I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, a lot of people are needing support and anything that I can do. I'm a bit of a on a bit of a mission at the moment that anything that I've been learning on my own personal journey, supporting clients, the people that I've met, and the work that I actually do, um, it's not always possible for people to have that opportunity to work with somebody one to one. So being able to provide a service where we can actually share what we know, I feel is an opportunity, was well, a gift to be able to yeah. do that. So um, I suspect we'll get, I'll have you back on for sure. <laughs> because because we, we've. We've discussed today generalised anxiety. We know that under that anxiety umbrella, we've got panic attacks, social anxiety, OCD. health anxiety, and OCD, OCD as well. So Phobias. Yep. So that all comes under that anxiety umbrella. So really, all we've touched on today is the generalised anxiety, which is, is common for most of us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd love to come back on Debbie. Well, I'll definitely have you back on um because as I said, we could we could talk about this for, for a long, long time. But I hope whoever's been listening in uh, to this uh, particular episode has found some good tips and strategies and, and has maybe resonated with some of the things that we've either spoke about, whether it's client work or things that we've experienced. If somebody wants to work directly with you as a CBT therapist, is that still an opportunity? Is an opportunity for them to do that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what, yeah. what's the best way for someone if they want to get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to contact you? They could, I could give you my email. It's paulcmori at outlook.com. Brilliant. And Mori is M-O-R-I. So paulcmori at outlook.com. Now, I That's will it. be putting all the links into uh, the information as this podcast comes out. But just for anyone that's listening in right now, that is the best way to contact Paul. So all that's left for me is to say thank you very much. And I really do look forward to the next time that you are coming back onto the podcast. It's been a pleasure, Debbie. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. And bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you've taken away something valuable, even a golden nugget that will help you move forward with your life so that you can become the best version of yourself and really have that life that you love. So I will see you back here every Tuesday. A new episode will be released, same time, same place. And if you want to sign up so that you're notified when these new episodes are live for you to listen to, then all the details will be in the description. So thanks again, and I hope you enjoyed the show, and I'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.